Well, howdy there, Internet people. It's Bo again. So today, we're going to talk about changing landscapes in relation to Ukraine. I say landscapes because there are a couple, and they are shifting rapidly. So we're going to kind of go over them and uh, talk about where we're at and what has changed. I have gotten a few messages today and late last night that basically were like, hey, it's just like you said. They got the resistance up and running before the capital fell while the advance was still going and, and things turned. I mean, yeah, that's what I said, but it did not happen the way I anticipated. There, there's a huge material difference between what I was anticipating and what occurred. And we'll get to that in a minute. But th that needs a lot of focus. Okay, so how did we get to where we're at? Where the, uh, the tides are not heavily in favor of Russia. A bunch of early Russian failures. Planning, logistics, intelligence. Stuff that should have been dealt with before anybody moved. And it wasn't. On top of that... There was the issue we talked about before any of this started. In fact, it was one of the reasons that many people, myself included, were skeptical of the idea that Putin would move in. Because it's a really bad idea to give the opposition a month to prepare. Ukraine used that month wisely. And Russia is paying for it at the moment. Now, another big mistake is that Russia still hasn't secured the air. This far into it, they don't have air dominance. Not really. What is a larger mistake than that is, even though they haven't secured the air, they're behaving as though they have, which is leading to catastrophic losses for them at times. Okay, so... We have the regular forces, you know, what we talked about, that resistance. It's up and running. It is up and running. Now, we have the question of the regular forces. And that presents a problem for Russia because they exist. At this point in the game, as lopsided as it was when it started, they shouldn't. And they do. And not just do they exist... They're combat effective. Yeah, they're disorganized, and it's messy at times, but they're still out there running and gunning. Ground forces, ground, regular ground forces, still exist, and they're still combat effective. The Air Force, the Ukrainian Air Force, also still exists, and is still combat effective. These are huge issues. This is that material difference. These forces, they shouldn't be around anymore. Not just are they around, they're operational, they're effective. In fact, both forces have been, uh, well, let's just call it really lucky. Seems like they know exactly where to be. Um, and I'm sure we'll hear more about how that happened later. The reason that this is a big material difference is because it sets up a dynamic where Russian forces have to be ready to counter both. 
Now, I dislike comparing anything to this particular conflict because every pundit uses it to describe it all the time. Everything is like this, you know, it's like this conflict. But realistically, in this case, it's the only one to compare it to. You have an irregular force and a regular force, both operating at the same time, both combat effective, and they're squaring off against a great power. The modern example of this is Vietnam. The irregular force, the VC, the regular force, the NVA. Decent conventional military, committed irregular force. Putin may have walked his troops into a Vietnam-style conflict. Now, let's talk about the losses. Anytime there's something like this, these numbers are foggy at best. You know? And what tends to happen when there's a wide range of estimates is that people start to look at it like score. And that's a really bad way to look at it for a whole bunch of reasons. But the main reason is that people start to compare the estimates to each other rather than, than something more comparable. A few times today, I have seen the phrase, only 1,100 lost. 1,100 is the lower end of the estimates, by the way. Only 1,100. And sure, that is a way to say it. It's only 1,100. Another way to say it is that in three days, Russia has lost a quarter of the forces that the United States lost in Iraq through the whole thing. It is not going well. It is not going well for Russian forces. Okay, so that's the military landscape as it stands at time of filming. The political landscape has shifted again. When we talked about sanctions, I talked about larger ones. I said they may use some that were more than they messaged. I was referring to SWIFT. At the time that happened, uh, there were European countries who were opposed to removing Russia from SWIFT. And if you don't know, SWIFT is, to greatly oversimplify it, it is an international trading mechanism. Bouncing Russia out of SWIFT, it... Uh, it cuts them out of a lot of markets. It makes things hard. There were countries who didn't want to do that initially. They have changed course, and now they're on board with doing it. So that's back on the table. Other European countries have begun shipping lethal aid, I believe is the term that, that, that people are using now, weapons. They're shipping weapons to Ukraine. This includes countries that weren't doing it before. There's been a shift there. Russia is uh, having a hard time finding friends. It reached out to Kazakhstan and was like, hey, we need some reinforcements. Why don't you send us some troops? And Kazakhstan's like, oh, you need troops? I suggest you open a recruiting station and didn't give them any. That was unexpected. That, that would be like the British asking the U.S. for troops and the U.S. saying no. Um, on top of this, Biden 
has uh, asked for billions to uh, assist in various ways with, with Ukraine. Back in Russia, the generals can no longer uh, hide how bad it's going from Putin, which I'm sure they were initially. Putin has shut down Twitter in Russia. It is going bad enough that he feels he has to control the flow of information. Because what is available on Twitter, well, it's just too much to overcome through normal propaganda channels. So he has to shut it down. He is also dealing with protests already. It's not going well politically there either. Now, this obviously pushes the question of, well, does that mean he's going to withdraw? A logical person might, but he has put himself in a corner. And I'm not sure how, how he's going to find a way out. Um, you know, his rhetoric, his nostalgia for the past is what's led to this. This idea of rebuilding Russia to former Soviet glory, you know, to being a, a, a player on that level again. It's going to be hard to convince other nations that he can do that when he, he's having a hard time with this. It's going to be hard to sell the idea that he's going to build a country that can tangle with NATO, all of NATO, when he's having a way harder time than he should with Ukraine. This is a major embarrassment for Putin. Um, so, as far as what this changes... Not a whole lot, really. Changes the hows, but not really the outcomes yet. Main difference is that, you know, it's not that Russia is going to lose or is guaranteed to lose. They still have a massive edge. A lot of the er errors that they have made are correctable. But it, it certainly is not hopeless for Ukraine by any means. Um, they still... They've got a shot. Even beyond that, they have already entered the make it cost phase. You know, the goal of making it too costly, either in political capital or real capital or other metrics that get used in conflicts, they're already at that point where they're trying to just run up the bill for Russia. And they haven't lost the capital yet. The Ukrainian resistance is doing very well. And Russia is doing very poorly. Russia can correct some of their errors. Some of them uh, they're going to have to live with for a while. Um, because of the early successes... On the Ukrainian side, that has shifted international opinion. It has made other countries more likely to help. For Americans, 
just this is the way it's always been, you know. I mean, think back to the Schoolhouse Rock song. Once the uh, once the Colonials showed that they could win, that's when other countries started helping. It's kind of the same thing here. Um, the more wins that Ukraine racks up, the more willing other countries will be to assist in whatever ways they can. And Zelensky is proving to be an incredibly charismatic leader. Um, that, that whole, if you're unaware, he was offered an evacuation. He, he was offered a way out. And he said, I need ammunition. I don't need a ride. That's the type of thing that inspires resistance. So, Russia still has an edge on paper. But so far, they have not been able to convert that edge into any material effect on the battlefield. They're not doing well. It's an embarrassment to Putin if he withdraws. So it's likely that he's going to throw in more troops. Um, but Ukraine has been as bad as Russia has been doing. Ukraine has been doing that well. They, they've been doing better than expected. So they're getting more assistance from the West. Um, there, There's not a lot of uh, calls to make from this point. We have to see what they actually decide about SWIFT, how Putin responds to that, how Putin responds to the protests, how Putin responds to the situation on the ground and being denied extra troops from other countries. There, there's a lot in flux at this moment. Um, and I don't know that a whole lot of it will be resolved before Monday because while all these soldiers are out there in harm's way, the politicians, well, they got to get their weekend then. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day.